what a, a joy it is to be in the house of the Lord this morning and also to to really uh, in, enjoy the worship that uh, this wonderful worship team and our instrumentalists, all that they've brought to us as as far as, you know, taking, you know, advantage of this opportunity that we have when we gather in God's house to worship the Lord. In fact, when we go to the word of God, and I love the fact that many of our young people that I uh, walked by this morning, notice they, they, they're carrying their Bible. And I love that. And I know we have our Bibles and our phones and our iPads and all that. But it's just awesome to see you carrying a Bible this morning because, you know, the word, it really does matter. And in, in the word of God, it, it does two specific things. It, it teaches us about how to worship God. Amen. Our God reigns. Hallelujah, our God reigns. What a perfect course for us to just really kind of set the table as we partake of, of God's word this morning. And so the word teaches us how to worship God um, with, with no question. But also the, the word of God, it, it gives us direction for life. And I don't know about you, but, you know, it seems like the older I get, you know, there's more that we learn as the years go by. But still, I realize how inadequate I am. You know, the more that I know, the more that I realize that I, there's not much that I know. And so I, I love going to the word because the word gives us direction for life. And I think the sooner that we, we understand that, the better off that we are. So so we're going into a new series called God's Word, God's Word series in regards to the family. And what I want to say in regards to the series is that that the series is about timeless truths, you know, the precepts of God. And that's how God begins to build his character in us, his image in us is by understanding the precepts of God's word that he sets out before us and that we apply those precepts to our life and that they are timeless truths. So no matter what role that I'm referring to, because we're speaking about God's God's word to whatever role that you are living in. In life or in family, that those truths, again, they cross generations, they are timeless. And so as I speak to, say, the husbands in the congregation, there are truths there that also apply to the teenagers. As we speak about truths that apply to, say, the wives, there are truths there that also applies to the widows. I mean, so God is speaking. It's timeless. And so rather than closing me down when I say, okay, we're speaking about God's word that's addressing this particular role. I want to advise to continue to remain open because God may be saying something to you in what it is that we're sharing. So we go to first Timothy this morning. Let's go there today. We go to first Timothy chapter three, looking at verse two. And that's kind of our focus verse this morning as we begin to study the word today. Um. Let's look at that. First Timothy chapter three, verse two. Now, the overseers to be above reproach, faithful to his wife. So so this this morning, this study is God's word to couples. You see that there on the bulletin. And so we, we read this verse. And again, there's this there's this encouragement uh, for the one, the husband within the family, that we're to be faithful to our wife. We're to be temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable. And able to teach. Precious Father, I thank you for the word this morning. I pray that your blessing, your anointing be upon it. And I, I, I pray, Father, for, for the one that maybe is just sitting here today in the sanctuary and they're maybe not even expecting to, to experience anything, to hear anything. I pray, Lord, that you would surprise us with your truth this morning, that, that you would transform us, Father. 
Because I believe that your word does not come back void, that your word is transformative. And so I pray that, Lord, we'd hear your voice as we we look at the word this morning. We pray all these things in Jesus Christ's glorious name and all God's people said, Amen. So obviously we come to the passage, Paul's dropping us right in the middle of instruction. Really, it's spiritual instruction, which is different than, say, just wisdom, you know, instruction for wisdom. And I love Proverbs But this is spiritual instruction, an instruction that extends to family and and extends to home and extends to, you know, every walk of life. And in other words, you know, how are we to be spiritual leaders in the the circle that we are living and and how how do we apply it to our life? And and, and he gives us and what I, I pull out here in this verse, he gives us. Kind of a standard. And, and he says that, that we are to be a man, or we can say woman here, but we are to be a man above reproach. A band that is above reproach. Wow, that, that is a standard. That, that is a standard that, that is addressing the reputation that we have with our friends and the reputation that we're making with our, the outsiders, you know, maybe the, those we work with or maybe in our neighbor, neighborhood. And, and in fact, Webster's Dictionary defines reproach to be without approach is without shame or disgrace. To be without shame or disgrace. Think about that. Uh, For a moment, that's not saying without sin. I mean, for all sinners saved by grace. So that that's not that that, that we're saying that the standards okay to be without sin, but without shame or disgrace, which is really the highest Christian model that that we can imagine for for a believer. And and in fact, one one man writes, he says, such men are known for their wholesome life. And untarnished integrity. I mean, think about that for a moment as, as we are living this Christian life and we're, we're saying, okay, I want to live Christianly. I want to, I want to live as Christ would live. What does it mean to live a life above integrity? I mean, to live this life that is above reproach. So, so there is no shame. So, so there is integrity in life and we see the standard that's being set there. And, and in fact, in this passage and, and Paul in his letters to Timothy and Titus, he's addressing the distinguishing marks of, of those that are the leaders among us, those that are to be church leaders among us. But I say this, if that standard is OK for those that are church leaders, then should it not be OK for us as a Christian? I mean, should those standards not also apply for us husbands as we live our life out? And what we are calling the model of the family. And I want to pick on myself just a little bit because, you know, I am talking again about God's word directed towards couples. But let me say it like this to pick on myself. Uh, There's two movements I want to share. But the first one is this. God's word to couples begins with the husband. (laughs) Begins with the husband or father. I I like this guy by the name of Gene Getz. He wrote a book called The Measure of a Man. And what he does in the book is he takes the men on a a journey of personal accountability. I mean, it's a powerful book if you've never read it or studied through it. Guys, I encourage you men to get the book and look at it in the challenge that he gives us. But it's a journey of being responsibly accountable. And it's a journey that, that we are living within the realm of being accountable to somebody. I mean, who are we holding accountable? Who are we accountable to? And so he kind of develops that as a measure of life of whether or not we're holding ourselves accountable. And it's not always, you know, easy. It's not always comfortable being held accountable. I, I was kind of getting frustrated with the, this extra poundage that I'm now carrying around my waist at 50 years old. And, and so I said to my wife, you know, honey, I want you to hold me accountable. 
And guys, that's dangerous, okay? I'm just telling you. And so I said to my wife, hold me accountable and let me know maybe I shouldn't eat anymore. Maybe I, I shouldn't order that fattening you know, item on the menu or whatever it is. And folks, I hate it. I don't, I don't like it. I don't like her holding me accountable in regards to what it is that I'm eating. And yet I also need to listen. I mean, you know, that, that's hard sometimes. And, and it's, it's, it's nice when, when people that are, you know, holding us accountable, when they are tender and they are loving and they have patient endurance and that they're forgiving. And we love all those wonderful, nice things about, you know, relationship. But we pull back sometimes on the idea when the relationship is dealing with the concept of accountability. Did you know that spiritual digression, now hang with me, that spiritual digression always tracks away from accountability? Did you know that? That spiritual digression always tracks away from accountability. And, and, and so that means that we need to recognize that when we are off track, usually the thing that we do when we're off track is we avoid accountability. And so we recognize the challenge that Gene Getz gives us is that we're to be held accountable, that we're accountable to somebody and ourselves. And, and in fact, this is being the man that is above reproach with no shameful thing. And the word is doing that. In fact, look at the rest of that passage. We go to First Timothy again, back to the word. That's what we're using now. First Timothy, chapter three, beginning at verse one. And we're going to look down through verse 7 because, man, there's so much that's packed in here. And I want to unpack it just a little bit for you. But here's, here's a trustworthy saying. Whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. Now, the overseer is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him. And he must do so in a manner worthy of full respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? That's a good question. He must not be a recent convert or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. Now, I know that all church leaders are not pastors. I mean, I know that. And, and I know that all pastors are not, you know, great church leaders. But we are all called to live Christianly. And we are all called to pursue the character of Christ, whether we are young or whether we're old or whether we're, we're new, or, or whether we've been around for a long time, whether we're in one section or another section, a part of this group or that group, that folks, as believers, we are to pursue the character of Christ. Amen. And so then the second movement that we see here this morning is God's word to couples is to be hospitable. You say, well, what does this mean? Notice that this word hospitable, that we are to be hospitable. You notice it's there in the middle of the passage. In fact, it's kind of surrounded by the rest of the, 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 the signs of, of good character and, and the instruction the word gives us. So the rest of the verses kind of surround this idea of being hospitable. You say, well, pastor, what is it? It is the foundation of marital life and that life is built upon. It is the idea that we show respect to each other and to be hospitable. So, see, this is God's word to couples, but I cannot help but apply this to everyone that is in this room this morning. That God, as believers, as Christians, has called us 
to be hospitable, that, that, that we show respect to one another. It said that all a woman wants is to be loved by her husband. I've, I've read that. I think it was Dr. James Dobson. He said that all a woman wants is to be loved by her husband and a man wants to be respected by his wife. <laughs> and doing this, it's about as difficult as blindfolding you and then turning you around ten times and having you face in the opposite direction of the, the, the dartboard and say now with the blindfold on, say now hit the bullseye. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's that challenging. It's that it's that difficult sometimes. And yet the problem is, listen to this. The problem is man is saying, I love you sometimes while not protecting and providing for his family. And the woman is saying, I respect you while consistently pointing out his faults. And then we're scratching our head and wondering, man, why is this marriage? Thing, why is why is the marriage not working? Why is it not working? I, I remember sitting down with my wife one time, Heidi, and, and we were just kind of making this agreement that we're going we're gonna to start, you know, talking more, you know, communicating, you know, that kind of thing. I was trying to get in touch with my feminine side, I guess, just a little bit. I mean, bear with me. I don't know how else to say that, but I was, you know, interested in maybe communicating better. And so we sat down and we began to talk and we began to share with each other. And I'm sitting here thinking, man, I don't want to be this open. <laughs> It's hard. It's a challenge to, to love enough. Listen, men, to love enough to change, to love enough to change, to, to respect enough to be be patient. You know, that, that, that's a challenge. Let, let me say some things about the institution of marriage. And, and there's no question. I mean, there's no question in our minds that that marriage. I mean, for some time, it's 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 been on the chopping block. And we see in our culture today, our society, that it's, it's starting to try to influence and redefine. And the government's getting involved in trying to say, you know, marriage is supposed to be this and this and this. And, and man, we understand as believers that the enemy does not have to get, you know, just a foot in the door. All he needs is a toe to begin to change things as God has established them. And, and, and so, you know, we, we should, I think, on occasion, review the concept of the institution of holy matrimony. How many agree with that? Raise your hand this morning. That we should sometimes review the constitution of holy matrimony. And so let's review for just a moment. The institution of marriage, think about it, is thousands and thousands of years old. Jesus adorned with his first miracle of Cana Galilee, and the Apostle Paul commended as honorable among man this, this holy state of a matrimony, a union that, dis, that God establishes at the beginning of the time when he said the two shall leave their father and mother and the two then come together and they, they become one. We recognize that. Dr. James Dobson describes holy matrimony as the last dam to break before slouching like Sodom and Gomorrah. And we know what happened to Sodom and Gomorrah. I, I know, I, I know skeptics claim that this is narrow-minded thinking, yet which is more right as far as the institution of marriage? Which is more right? You know, um, open-mindedness or 5,000 years of every civilization and every culture being built upon holy matrimony. Which, which, which does it sound like it's more right that this is something that God has established and has lifted up in His Bible, in His Word, that, that marriage is a precious thing. Amen. And you say, well, what about my marriage? My marriage. Well, you know, I know, and I suggest not only cherishing what we have, and I don't know where you're at right now, husbands and wives, and your marriage. 
But I, I do know that when those marriages are, are under attack or stressed, I, I know there are two things that, that affect the marriage negatively. The first thing is sin. I know that sin, there's, folks, I guarantee you, there is no question in my mind that sin affects your marriage. And I'm speaking to the men today because, folks, I know that, you know, sometimes we scratch our head and we wonder, why is the relationship not working? But yet then there is this sin. And it may not be popular to talk about something like that. Because maybe the idea is we come to church and we, we, we get to feel good and then we go home and we feel good. And sin does not make us feel good when we talk about sin. But we scratch our head and say, wonder why my marriage is not working when there is an issue that is called sin that is in your life. So I, I, I guess when we say God's word for marriage, it's going to direct us. To the issue, men, of is there a sin in your life? If there's something that's getting between you and God, well, if there's something that's getting between you and God, it's going to affect your marriage. The second one, amen. The second one, you know what the second one is? The second one is selfishness. How can I say I am married and the two have become one and the one I'm concerned about is me? Or the one that she's concerned about is her. And then we scratch her head again and say, why is marriage not working? Ladies and gentlemen, selfishness does not fit the biblical model of marriage. And that applies even to those relationships that are just boyfriend and girlfriend. Again, they are timeless truths, young people, that apply. You see, back to the passage, I mean, back to the text, hospitable. Hospitable, meaning showing respect and respect enough to be faithful, respect enough to be gentle in our responses as we are caring for each other in our relationships, whether we've bound them by a license or not, that we are we are respectful and kind, much unlike this wife that was cooking some homemade cookies and her husband was upstairs. He had cancer. He was he was not uh, doing well. He was on his last few hours of life, likely. And he was upstairs and he could smell his wife cooking his favorite homemade cookies, oatmeal and raisin cookies. And so with the last bit of energy that he had, with his last bit of energy that he had, he got out of bed and he struggled down the stairs. And he made it to the kitchen and there were the cookies freshly baked that was steaming there sitting on the counter cooling. And so he reached out to get one of his favorite cookies with that last bit of energy that he had. And then the wrinkled hand of his wife smacked his hand and said, no, you don't. Those are for the funeral. (laughs) That is not being gentle. (laughs) That is not being gentle. What, What did I have there in the bulletin? The last line, consider the other's feelings first. Consider the other's feelings. And I'm just having fun, but but man, we scratch our head. Consider the other feelings first. Maybe couples, I I, I don't know, maybe couples, it's time for a fresh start. I I wonder, do you remember as a kid? I mean, when I was a kid, we had this thing called do-overs. And, you know, things weren't going the way we wanted or we're playing a game. I I call do-overs. Wouldn't it be great to be able to have a do-over in life? And, and maybe, maybe in your marriage, ladies, 
Maybe that's what you're wishing, hoping for. Maybe it's possible that there's been some hurt or there's been some heartache. And maybe there's been something that's happened. You're hoping that forgiveness will take place and, and that there will this be spark that will come back to your marriage and, and that life will be good again. Can you remember when you got married? Can you remember when you made those vows, husbands and wives, and the excitement and the passion that was a part of that whole process? I enjoyed being a part of the Earhart's wedding just recently, Sandy and Vern. His, their son got married and I performed the ceremony. And, I mean, what a joy it was to be a part of such a special time in the life of a family. Can you remember that moment when it was so good? Can you remember that time when you really loved this person and now maybe possibly the marriage has gotten a little moldy? <laughs> That's kind of personal. Maybe things have been said that's kind of ugly. Well, I, I believe as we go to the Word, I mean, go to the Word, that there's hope. Because God believes in the family. God believes in the marriage. And God wants your marriage to be renewed. And He wants you to have a spark of love and life in your marriage again. And the rest of you that are not married or whatever your scenario is, I will get to you in the next few weeks. But today, the couples that are married, I believe God wants to bring spark and life to your marriage. And maybe this is the moment that you can say it's a do-over time. So I want to do something really unusual this morning. I want to invite those that are married to stand with me. Not up here, but there we are at. Those that are married to stand. And if you're not by your spouse, this will be important, by the way. If you're not by your spouse, I invite you to go get your spouse. I had one couple miss in the first service because the other one was in the restroom. Take a moment right now. Go get that spouse. Go get that spouse and bring them in here. And I'm going to have my wife come up here. And I'm not forcing you to do this. But I am just saying in response to the word of God today. I want to invite us today as husbands and wives to renew our vows to our spouse together as God's church. And if you don't want to, that's fine. You do not have to. I want it to be just something. If you want to do it, we're going to do this together. So I'll make this kind of generic and I'll give you direction and you'll just speak quietly to that loved one. And by the way, guys, here's a little advice. Okay, I watched what was happening in the last service. Look at your wife, not me. <laughs> a little advice there, okay? Dearly beloved, we are gathered together here in the sight of God in the, the presence of these witnesses. We have a lot here. To join together this man and this woman in holy matrimony, which is an honorable estate instituted of God in the time of man's innocency, signifying unto us the mystical union that exists between Christ and his church. This holy estate, Christ adorned and beautified with his presence and first miracle that he wrought in Canaan of Galilee. And St. Paul commended as being honorable among all men. It is therefore not to be entered into unadvisedly, but reverently, discreetly, and in the fear of God. Men and women, I require and charge you both as you stand in the presence of God to remember that the commitment to marriage is a commitment to permanence. It is the intent of God that your marriage will be for life and that only death will separate you. If the vows you exchange today is kept without violation, and if you seek always to know and do the will of God, your lives will be blessed with his presence. Listen to the promises. Your lives will be blessed with his presence and your home 
will abide in peace. Men, will you have this woman to be your wedded wife, to live together after God's ordinance? In the holiest state of matrimony, will you love her and comfort her, honor her, keep her in sickness and health, and forsaking all others, keep yourself only unto her so long as you both shall live? If so, say to her, I will. Women, will you have this man? I will, honey, by the way. Women, will you have this man to be your wedded husband and to live together after God's ordinance in the holy state of matrimony? Will you love, honor, and keep him in sickness and in health? And forsaking all others, keep yourself only unto him so long as you both shall live. If so, respond by saying, I will. I will. Amen. Men, repeat after me. Use your own name and use her name. Not what I'm going to say. I, Tony, take you, Heidi, to be my wedded wife, to have and to hold from this day forward, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish, till death do us part, according to God's holy plan, I pledge you my faith. Now, ladies, repeat after me using the appropriate names. I, Heidi, take you, Tony, I, Heidi, take you, Tony. To, be my wedded husband, to be my wedded husband, to have and to hold from this day forward, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish, till death do you part. That's part. According to God's holy plan, I pledge you my faith. Precious Father in heaven, I thank you for holy matrimony. I thank you, Father, for these marriages and the relationships that's represented here this morning in our first service as well. I don't know, Lord, what's going on in these marriages. But, Lord, you, you're, you are for the family. You're for the marriage. And I pray, God, that you would just affirm these marriages and renew something today in their hearts. So, Lord, I thank you. I thank you for hearing her voice. Thank you for reminding us. We love you, Jesus. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. For as much as this man and woman have consented together in the holy wedlock and have witnessed the same before God and this company, have declared the same by joining of hands, I pronounce that you now are a husband and wife together in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Those whom God has joined together, let not man put asunder. Men, you are welcome to kiss your bride. Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, the first thing that uh, a couple of the men said to me on the way out this morning is, does this mean we get to go on a honeymoon now? (laughs) I said, sure. Yeah. It's honeymoon time. Amen. The rest of you, thank you for your patience. Timeless truths of God's word that he is building us and he's working in our behalf before we even respond to him. Amen. That's his prevenient grace.